Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. You know, God is building something, isn't he? He's building his church. We've always said here that uh, we don't need to build a church. Jesus builds his church. And that's, that's, a, that's a powerful truth. But today I want, I want to uh, highlight one of the ways that God builds his church. Even though it's not us that's building, he has given us the opportunity to build according to his plan. It's not us that comes up with the plan. It's not us that comes up with the architecture, the design. But God does use his people to build his church. We're not building our own little thing. We're not building our own little project. But we're part of his. And so there's a great responsibility on you this morning and and for the rest of your life as part of the body of Christ to understand that you have been given the um, power to, to build up or to tear down. One of the main ways we do that is with our words. Bible says, and God said to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, my words I've put in your mouth to uproot, to destroy, to build, and to plant. Why would he have to uproot and destroy something? Well, in order for something to be built and planted in Israel at that time, there was such a, a of such an opposition to God. There was such an opposition to his, his word that there were some things that had to be torn up so that something could be planted. There had to be some things that were torn down in order that something could be built. Unfortunately, we abuse that power sometimes. We tear down stuff we never should have torn down. We, we destroy things that never should have been destroyed because we are so addicted to sharing our opinion. We're so addicted to feeling like we got something to say and... Twitter and Facebook have just made it that much easier, right? We got to say something. You don't always have to say something. You know that, right? I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else this morning. That God has given you the opportunity to be part of his building. So I understand that while he's building the church, here's the cool part. He's building his church, but he's also building you as part of that building of the church. Does that make sense? So he says in, 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 in Peter's letters, he says that we are living stones which make a house. And in that house, there are priests offering spiritual sacrifices to God. You say, well, who are the priests? Is that the preacher? Is that the pastor? No. The Bible says in the New Testament, we are all priests. We are all priests to our God. We are kings and priests unto him. And so we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. So the priests in that story, here's where it gets confusing. You're the stones that build a house, but you're also the priests in the house. So what, what does that look like in reality? Well, God put, took all these weirdos. Now, I know you're not all weirdos, but most of us. He <laughs> took all these people who are so different. He put us together, and he, and he, and he fit us where we, we should fit, even though sometimes we swear we don't fit. You know, we just don't think we fit. But he put us together, and he's building a beautiful house. But in order for that house to be built, we have to let him build where he wants to build. But he's building this house, but he's also building us up individually, isn't he? He's not just building up the church as a whole. He's building you up. He's building, and I think you got to know that, that uh, sometimes it's important that you get built up. The more built up you are in Christ, the, the rougher the storm you can stand through, the more you can help somebody else, the more you can be a shelter for somebody else. To be built up is an important part of growth. So 
I'm going to introduce a couple words that many of you who've been born again for a long time might know, but some of you who are new at it might not be too familiar with it. One word in the Bible that pops up over and over again is the word edification, to edify. That's just simply an English word that we don't use much anymore. I don't know, I don't see many construction workers going out, I'm going to edify a building today. I mean, it's not something we, we talk about. What business are you in? I'm in the business of edification. All right. But edification, to edify, means to build up. That's as simple as it is. So edification is the process of building up. Whether we're building up um, ourselves or we're building up the church as a whole. You know, it's not wrong to build yourself up, is it? In the book of Jude, it says, in these last days, there's going to be a whole lot of hard stuff coming your way, but you keep yourselves in the love of God, building yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So it's important that you build yourself up in your faith, that you are able to strong and able to stand even in the tough times. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talks about the one who prays in another tongue, prays in tongues, edifies himself. We might read that later on, but he he builds himself up. So here in um, Ephesians 4, I want you to see, he's already talked, uh, well, we'll we'll start with the beginning and then we'll skip a little bit just for the sake of time. In Ephesians chapter 4, and um, let's start, well, let's start, (laughs) if we had all the time in the world, we'd, we'd read the whole book of Ephesians, but... Let's just look at this um, in verse 14. As a result, he's talking about the different gifts in the body. He's talking about the uh, uh, maturing in Christ so that we we become more unified in Christ. And uh, a symbol of maturity is unity. But he says this in verse 14, as a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. I love that. You say, what does it look like when I grow up? You're growing up into him. It's very simple. You want to know what you want to be when you grow up? You want to be like Jesus. So we're growing up into him. And I love that it says grow up in all aspects. Because if we had our way, we'd pick our certain areas where we'd be comfortable growing, right? But he says grow in all aspects, which I think, guys, if you should, you should be able to a year from now look back. March 15th, 2016, you should be able to look back and say, I've grown in all these areas. If you've been the same for the last five years, you don't see any growth, you're probably not the same. You've probably gone backwards, right? You, you, I mean, the, this walk of faith is kind of like riding a bicycle up a hill. You stop pedaling, you go backwards. Or it's like swimming, right? You just, can't, you just can't stop swimming and say, I'll stay in the same spot. You will sink. Now, you, maybe you can tread water, but don't push my metaphor too far, Okay. trying to be like Jesus where you can just pick apart his parables and every little thing makes sense but you know I'm Jonathan (laughs) speaking by the word of God all right so here's what it says grow up in all aspects into him how speaking the truth in love so some of you might be good at speaking the truth just not good at speaking it in love (laughs) which begs the question is it truth anymore because truth is not just a fact 
Truth goes deeper than that, isn't it? Truth is not just the facts of the situation. Truth is really God's perspective on the matter. So the truth might be that you are, uh, truth might be that you're hopeless. Truth, I mean, the facts might be that you're hopeless. The facts might be that you are um, utterly useless to most people. But the truth might be quite different because the truth is based on something you can't see. The truth is based on what God sees. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who's the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, we could talk for a long time about that, but that's not what we're talking about today, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So even though the growth and the, the power and the strength comes from Jesus, the head, it's the body that's building itself up in love by, through Jesus, through his power, through his love, through his strength. We're building ourselves up in him. What does that look like? Well, he, he goes on, and, and we're going to skip a little bit ahead, uh, even though I encourage you to go back and read every single verse that we're skipping here because it's so important. In fact, today after church, if you want to get your Bible out, I think that'd be a great thing to do. But I want to skip down. To verse uh, 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So laying aside all your falsehood, all your fakery, all your act, lay it aside and speak truth to one another. Now, don't forget that truth is meant to be spoken in love. If you can't say it in love, you don't need to say it. The thumper policy is great for Christians, isn't it? Although it's a little bit deeper than that. Sometimes you say things that, maybe um, aren't always flowers and rainbows, but if they're not said in love, if you don't love that person, you have no right to say it to them. Mm -hmm. Here's what it says. Speak the truth in love. Lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each of one of you, uh, to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet don't sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. How, how important is that? Be angry, don't sin. How do I sin? I sin with the words of my mouth. I sin with my actions whether it be what I do or I don't do that I should have done. So in my anger, do not let your anger cause you to move out of the love of God, cause you to move into sin. And then he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. When I first, when T and I were about to get married, I talked to so many couples who'd been married for a long time. And I said to them, good godly couples, I said, what, what'd you do different? What'd you do? You know, what was your, what was your thing? What was your secret? And it was about three quarters of them said, we don't go to bed angry. I mean, it's just, and that's not just for marriage. He says it to all of us. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because the more you let something fester, the more it loses what it was to start with and it just takes a mind of its own. Just don't even let it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you can't deal with it before, before sunset, then you just need to give it to God. Then he says this. And do not... Give the devil an opportunity. You know, that was not a separate sentence. That was an and. How do we give the devil an opportunity? He's not talking here about you playing with Ouija boards, although that's a moronic move that you should never do. Here, the, the opportunity that you're giving the devil is not you picking up the book of Satan. Here, the opportunity of you giving the devil is for you to let anger stay longer than it should have. The literal Greek says, do not give the devil a foothold. 
Anybody done any rock climbing here? Rock climbing, rock climbing? It's just kind of sad. Okay, if you... <laughs> we are in the prairies. Come on, I, I understand. Most of our rock climbing is artificial, right? Yeah? Did it at a Bible camp or something? Uh, you know how valuable it is to have that foothold. If you are trying to climb a sheer rock face with no footholds, good luck, you can't do it. And in reality, because of what Jesus has done, the enemy does not have entrance into our life until we give him a place to stick his foot. You know what that place is? You've held on to anger. You've let bitterness come up. You've let... You've let unforgiveness creep in. You've let yourself step into the flesh because somebody forced you there, or so you thought. They did something that pushed you into that area, and so we gave the devil a place to stick his foot. He's finally got a spot. He says, don't, don't give him an opportunity. Don't give him a place. In verse 28, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what's good, and he will have something to share with one who has need. Isn't it great that God didn't just say stop stealing to the thieves? These are people that, when he says he who steals, this is somebody who's, that's what they do for their living. He says, isn't it great that, that God doesn't just say stop stealing? He says, here, I'll give you something to do with your hands. Instead of stealing, work with your hands. Instead of working just so you have some money for the weekend, instead work so that you might supply somebody else's needs. So he's turned a thief into a giver. But then he says this in verse 30, or verse 29, and this is really where we're headed today. Let no unwholesome word, the original Greek says rotten. Let no rotten word. How do I know if a word's rotten? It's got no life left in it. it causes more damage than good. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Do you, do you see that he, he doesn't say, cut back on it, guys? Just cut back a little bit. Can you, can you trim down the rotten words? Can you just kind of, you know, maybe not go cold turkey, but maybe ease off? He says, let no unwholesome word, no rotten word proceed from your mouth. Well, how do you know what kind of word falls in that category? Well, I think we know the, 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 the rotten by looking at the good. He says, only such a word as is good for edification. So remember what we said edification means? That means building up. Do you just find it amazing that God left it? I mean, put, I shouldn't say left it because that implies that he's not present in it. But put it in our hands to help build the church and build people up. Do you recognize that God is building somebody? Or he's, all these people around you, God is, is building a work. He's building a life. He's building something he can use. He's building a stone that he can build a house. Do you recognize that all these people around you are a work in progress? Thank God, right? Sometimes we judge people based on the final product, but you haven't seen the final product yet. So everybody around us is a work in progress. God is telling us, you have an opportunity with what you say to these people to help build that work. That's pretty cool. You have an opportunity to help build what God is building. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The word destroy, both in the Greek and even in our old English, we, we don't use it this way anymore, but it literally means to take something that's built and to unbuild it. You think about what destroy, destruct, right? If I construct something... If I construct a structure, I'm building something. I'm a construction worker. I'm building something. 
Think about what if you were a destruction worker. There's no such thing as far as I know. There's demolition guys. But uh, destruction is the opposite of construction, right? So Satan is not just around to give you a bad day. He wants to unbuild what God has built. You have to understand that as much as terrorism and as much as, um, you know, uh, attacks by the media, as much as somebody picketing out you outside of your church might cause you a problem, that's not even the prime weapon he uses. Really, the prime weapon is within. And we have to understand that we have the opportunity to tear up or tear down or to build up. And God takes it very seriously. Can you just consider, I want you to look at your friends and your brothers and sisters differently. Every one of you is a precious saint in the body of Christ. If you're born again, if you've received Jesus, if you've given your life to him, he now calls you not a sinner but a saint, and he is building you from the ground up. If we were to think about everybody that God put in our life today, you know, we're a little sparse this morning. There's not as many of our, some, some folks are away. Some people couldn't make it. But look at the people that are around you. And just consider the kind of people that God is trying to build. The kind of things he's doing in their life. If we could stop thinking about God's viewpoint purely from our perspective. <laughs> like how is this person helping me get to where I need to be? And you start to think about them. What is God doing in them? How is God using them? How is God, I mean, what does God see that I don't yet see? And you might not know the answer to that question. But the fact that you're asking it is going to help you. When you start looking at these people and say, God is building something here. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Like, people come in the door, like, stoned out of their mind. And we're happy to see them. We love them. And who cares what they did last night? You came here this morning. Right? And we, you, you, you love them, you love them, you love them. But you've been, for, been with them for two or three years. And all of a sudden, your expectations of them go way high. And that's, that's a good thing. I mean, you shouldn't be in the same place three years later. My expectations, if I love you, my expectations of you are going to be high. That's a good thing. But sometimes people don't meet those expectations. How we respond in that situation says more about us than it says about them. Do we understand God is building something? Do I understand that Satan's trying to destroy it? Yeah. Sometimes I got to speak the truth in love and say something that's not that pleasant. But I do want it to be something. If, I, if it won't build them up, it's not worth saying. If it's not building something in them. See, if you're just pointing out the facts. Audrey, this is, these are the facts. You know, and this is what I see. Did anything that you said build her? You might just be laying out the facts. Now, maybe, maybe, forget the maybe. Let's just move on. <laughs> I know that maybe, maybe, we'll move on. We'll just, we'll get to the maybe later. But in that, sometimes our definition of building up is different than the world's definition of building up. Sometimes what we think is building up is just complimenting people all the time. But really, building up somebody in the word of God is giving them something more than just a flattering word. I'm not preaching flattery this morning. 
Sometimes we've confused flattery with building up. I'm talking about real encouragement. Speaking to people about who they are when they don't even see it themselves. Telling them what God says in his word about them, even when they don't believe it about themselves. And build them up. If what you're saying can't do that, it's not worth saying. It might be a rotten word, and it might tear down rather than build up. We are not in the position to tear down. We have to understand that you might not even be in the position in that person's life to correct them. It might be somebody else's job to correct them. Might be yours, might be somebody else's, might be yours, or you say they need to be rebuked, but I'm not the guy. That's okay to say that. The Bible talks about not moving out of the sphere which we've been given. Paul said, I'm not going to try to be somebody else's apostle, but I'm yours. You know what he's saying? He's not going to march into a church that he has nothing to do with and start railing into them, telling them what they're doing wrong. He says, because God didn't give me that authority. He said, but he gave me authority with you. So understanding where we can say things and where we can't is pretty important. Look, at it, look what he says. Look, we're going to read that one more time. He says, let no unwholesome word, a rotten word, proceed from your mouth, but only, only such a word as is good for edification, building up, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. What does that mean? See, grace is a word that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We understand the grace of God is why we're here But grace is not just simply, I wasn't good enough, but Jesus was, even though that's true. Grace wasn't simply the method by which you got saved. Grace is God's ability where your ability fails. His strength where you're weak. His power where you have none. Do you understand that what he's saying here is, by my word, by what I say to that person, My words can be a channel that God uses to empower them in an area where they feel most weak, to strengthen them, to give them hope where they have no hope, to let them know that their God is able when they feel most unable. See, this means that we can't just state the obvious. It's... It's hard because sometimes we need to speak the word of God into somebody in the very area it seems the least likely to happen. Do you understand what I mean? The great silence. That's good. That's good. It's okay to say no to that question. Here's what I mean. I'm using Leah. This is not Leah's problem. We're going to make up a fictional problem for Leah. Is everybody okay with that? You're not going to after the service say, honey, let's take you out to lunch. We have some things to discuss. All right. But let's just say, let's just say that Leah has a crippling issue with shyness. Just crippling where she can't even go up to talk to people. She's just fearful all the time. You see her when you try to make contact, she looks away, she looks away. Imagine that's her issue and you say, you know what? God can use Leah in a lot of different areas, but probably not in talking to people. Probably not in ever getting in front of people. But what if... What if we recognize that, now, now there's quiet personalities, there's gentle personalities, but there's no fearful personalities in the body of Christ. You can be a quiet person and God made you to be that way. Doesn't mean you're shy or you're fearful, right? If you feel shy today, I have good news for you. 
The Lord has called you. And he's able to make you bold in the areas that you don't feel bold. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between being a quiet person and a fearful person. Right? right? Mm -hmm. So if the reason you're quiet is because you're afraid of talking to people or afraid of saying something out loud, that's not God. So imagine that's Leah's issue. I come up to Leah and I... She might have some other gifts. Say, you know, she, she got up and sang today during the offering. I, I could easily say, Leah, you have a wonderful voice. And it would be true. And maybe somebody should say that. Because sometimes you don't, you don't know that, that those areas that people seem strong, you don't know sometimes that's where they need encouragement. But that would be the obvious thing. But, but maybe I should also be giving grace to her in an area where she most needs grace. You see, we most need grace. We need grace in every area. We most need the grace of God in the area where we are most weak. So maybe what I say to Leah in this moment where I recognize and I've seen her fear, instead of saying to Leah, you're really fearful, aren't you? What if I were to say to Leah, Leah, the wicked flee when no one is chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And there is great boldness in you. And God wants to bring it out of you. And I believe I'm praying for you that that would come out. And like a lion, you'd have that boldness. I want you to know I see you lifting your hands in church. I see you praising God. I want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that God sent you here. You are bold. Maybe that's what she needed to hear at the moment. Maybe it's in those areas where we just recently slipped and fell and, 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 and made a mistake. Maybe those are the areas where we need to be reminded who we are in Christ. You know what I'm saying? Because it's those parts of the wall that have been destructed. It's parts of the wall that have been beaten down and torn down where somebody needs to go to that part of the wall and realize, I might be the one to put a, a brick on this wall, another stone on this wall, because this is an area the enemy keeps charge, charging through because it's a hole. So instead of me going around pointing and going, Psh, look at you, you're wanting to talk? Got a big old gap in your wall. I see it every time. You know what? That gap, I mean, every time I walk by, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's just a big old gap in your wall. Well, maybe they know that. But maybe what they need is somebody to say, hey, I'm going to help you. Let's pick up rocks together and stick it right there. Now, I know that, like I said, let's not stretch the metaphor too far. <laughs> but let's realize this. Sometimes where we most need to be built up are the areas we seem most weak in. God didn't just say, I'll do the job. You just step back, let me do it. God put you in the position to build up instead of tearing down. It says the only words you're supposed to say are the words that are going to build up one another. Now I realize this requires a little bit more thinking. Maybe not even thinking, but listening to the Spirit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> every time we learn something new, every time we get a new revelation, it takes longer for us to figure out our conversation. When people first realize that they should be speaking the word of God instead of just talking about their circumstances, there was that awkward period of time where they were constantly correcting themselves, saying, oh, I'm so sick, I'm so sick. Wait a minute, I know, by his stripes I'm healed. You know, and then, you maybe had that friend that was always like the confession police or whatever, you know. But uh, maybe it's worth 
I shouldn't even say maybe. It is worth. It is worth you considering your words. You need to consider that he put on your tongue the power to bless or to curse. Now, an old, dried-up, traditional religion, that means nothing. A blessing is just something nice you say. But in the Scripture, in the Bible, and in today, with, with the power of God, the blessing of God is a powerful force. The blessing of God is a real thing. And when you bless somebody, they are meant to be blessed. It's not just a nice thing you say. You think about it when Abraham gave that blessing to Isaac. All of a sudden, God's favor was in his life. And when you cursed somebody, when Jesus cursed that fig tree, it died. We're not supposed to ever curse people. Because the scripture says in James, if you use your mouth to bless God and you use your mouth to curse your brother, he goes, That's, that can't happen. He says salt water and fresh water can't flow from the same well. My brothers, he said, this should not be so. So here we are. I've been given the ability to build what God's building. I've been given the ability to be a construction worker in your life, and you've been given the ability to be one in mine. Ask yourself, am I building? Am I tearing down? This does not mean always avoid confrontation. Because the scripture says, what did it say? Speak truth to one another in love. This doesn't mean that you secretly feel all these things about somebody, but you'll never say it because I guess it's a rotten word. If it's a rotten word, it's a rotten thought. You know what I'm saying? If it's not good enough to say, it's not good enough to entertain in your head. Because <laughs> either it's God's word or it's somebody else's. And either way, that's pretty clear cut, isn't it? I want you to see something. I'm going to read you something in Romans 15. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to be conscious of God's work. Conscious of his building. Conscious of whose team you picked. If a thief came to steal, to kill, and to unbuild, tear down, destroy. Jesus came to give life. Whose side are you on? Simple, right? It's not a difficult answer. Romans 15, he says, um, verse 1, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. You see what he says there? So what I do for you is for your good, but it's working toward your building up. I'm supposed to think about that. I'm supposed to consider that. How am I building the body of Christ? Now, I'm not building it according to my plan, but how am I helping God's work in the body of Christ? Because God is building people all around you. He's building a church, and it looks good. It may not look good yet, but you, when you see it from the architect's perspective, it looks good. And if he's building, the last thing I want to do is to begin to tear down and take bricks away from what he's building. I want to build up. He says, each one of us, each of us, it doesn't leave room for a special class. You know, I've heard people say, well, I have the gift of encouragement. Praise God. We need people like that. Mm -hmm. But some people hear that and go, well, I don't have that gift. 
You know, there's not a lot of scriptural evidence for that. Every one of us, every one of us is an encourager. Every one of us is to serve one another in love. Every one of us is part of the building team. You got drafted onto the construction team. You can't get out of it because you, you know, I have other things I'm better at, I'm good at. No, you're part of this. There's nowhere in the Bible that says there's a special class of encouragers. Some of you are better at it than others. I get that. But none of us are exempt. None of us can be conscientious objectors and say, I don't want to be drafted. You're on the crew. You're on the team. How are you building? Consider this. You might not be a person that tears down, but it might have been a long time since you ever put a brick on the top of another brick. Know what I'm saying? You might say, well, I'm not actively tearing anyone down. Well, are you actively building anybody up? That's a good question. It doesn't mean you have to know more than them. It doesn't mean you have to boss them around. It just means you you get to edify them. I need edification. You need edification. Not one of us is too big for it. We're all being built up. We're all growing. You know what? When we have a funeral and you're being lowered into the ground, we can stop edifying you then. You're done. You finished your course. And you can stop edifying us. We're good. Your bill's paid, all right? But until then, nobody's done. Sometimes we look at people and go, they're spiritual superheroes. Oh, what would I ever say to them? What do you, I mean, do you think you have to tell them that this is, this is the five-year plan for their life? Or can you just say what, can you just encourage them? We're so intimidated. But I want to tell you, when you're building somebody up, when you're edifying the church, when we're edifying the church, it's always good. God can always use that. I'm not talking about flattery. Flattery sometimes just does almost as much damage as as negativity. (laughs) And can I say this? And I say this from somebody that stands in front of people, so I had to deal with it. But if you make a big deal out of people praising you when you do a good thing, it's going to be real hard when they don't praise you. Don't change your plans based on how people praise you or how people don't like you. Go by what God says about you. You're not doing this for the applause of people. You're doing it for the applause of heaven. Amen? Amen. Praise God. One more uh, encouragement to you before we get up and practice what we've preached. You know, this is the cool part. We can, like, do this in five minutes. I'm not preaching a message about someday when you get called to, to China to preach. I'm telling you, like, you could do this in the lobby. This is not a hard thing. He says this in 1 Corinthians 14. I don't have time to go into depth on 1 Corinthians 14. Of course, there's some great encouragement about praying in other tongues, about the, how things are done in a service. But he says this, <clears throat> pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, that's building up, and exhortation and consolation. 
So it's building up. Exhortation means, you know, encouraging, causing them to move forward. Consolation means even when things are rough, even when things seem to be coming against you, it says you can stand, you can do this. That's what prophecy is for. Do you see those three words? Edification, exhortation, consolation. If it doesn't fall in those three categories, you might not need to hang on to it too deeply. Here's what it says. Verse 4. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So here's both things. Neither one of them is wrong. And he's going to go on in the rest of this chapter and tell you why I shouldn't get up with a microphone and for 45 minutes speak in tongues. Unless we're ready for 45 minutes of interpretation. The reason being is, this is very simple, you can all understand this. If I just get up for 45 minutes and speak in a language you don't understand, you don't get anything out of it. Does that mean, now some people have taken this so far and said, you can't speak in tongues in church. Really? What's going to happen? Your ear's going to burn out? Your face going to start melting? Is there something wrong with that? No. It's just simple. If you want to encourage somebody, if you want to build somebody up, if we're going to preach to somebody, I have to speak in a language they understand. So if somebody comes up to the front and they're worshiping God and they begin to pray in other tongues or sing in other tongues, does that hurt you? No. It doesn't harm you in the least. But if they look you in the eyes and they start talking to you, you better be able to understand it. Now, fortunately, he talks about tongues and interpretation. He says if somebody gets up and does give a word in another tongue, he says, oh, God's good enough to give somebody else who will interpret that so that we can be edified by it. Now, notice this is what it says. When you pray in other tongues, you are building yourself up. That's a good thing. You see, the Bible, God never uses build up as a bad thing. He uses puff up as a bad thing. You puff yourself up, that's a bad thing. You're going to get popped. It's messy, whatever. But building up is always a good thing. Remember, Jude says, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Being edified and building yourself up. This is, you, this is your you time. You need some you time. You need some you and God time where you are edifying yourself so that you are able to edify somebody else. But when I come into the church, it says if somebody's going to talk to other people, you need to consider what will edify the church. See, edifying me is a good thing. But when I come into the gathering of believers, whether it be a service like this or whether it be a small group study or whether you just went to somebody's house and had dinner, how will I edify them? Now, in this sense, he's talking about prophecy, which is one of the gifts. And he says, if you're going to prophesy, it'll edify the church. If it doesn't build up the church, it doesn't pass the the test that he talks about. So here's here's the thing. Here's where we need to... To, to come to a conclusion this morning. I want you to know that if we're asking God, Lord, I want things to happen when I pray. I want, I want to walk in the same authority that, that you walked and the apostles walked and, and those believers in the early church. I want, to, I, want to, I want to be able to speak and pray and, and things actually happen. Well, if God is going to turn up the power dial on what you say, you better watch what you say. Because some of you, that would be the worst thing for you right now is to actually have the things you talked about answered. I hate to say it. You know what I mean? If every time you stub your toe, you damn something, you better be glad God didn't answer that. You say, well, I wasn't praying. 
while you were speaking. The more we are honoring God with our lips and with the words of our mouth, the more He can use those words to do, to build up. Some things need to be torn down. That's not talking about the body of Christ. That's talking about other things. Even when we prayed this morning, we prayed that certain things would be torn down. I want you to consider today, who am I building up? And when's the last time I picked up a hammer? Because there's work going on. There's buildings going up all around me. There's there's a good old Amish barn building, and I'm Amish, and I'm not there. I don't know, last time somebody called you Amish, but, you know, there is, a, there is a building being built, and all around me there are stones, there's buildings being built. God has called me to build up. How am I doing my job? Only speak such a word as is good for edification. Let no rotten word proceed out of your mouth. Now, I know many of you know this. Some of you, I am just preaching what you already know. If you know it, walk in it. If it's news to you, walk in it. If you need to repent, repent and walk in it. Because God is doing something beyond what we can comprehend or see. God's going to use the people around you. And they need the grace of God to get it done. You might not have considered that your words might be a vessel that God uses to impart His grace into their life so that they can do what they couldn't do before. Let's stand up.